Welcome to Basketball Buzz, the show that combines three great things, Kentucky basketball, college basketball, and bourbon. I'm one of your three hosts, Arizona Terry. With me are Shane Michael. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing all right. Doing all right. Have some bourbon in front of me, so that always helps, especially since I've been drinking, drinking much less. Um, and it was nice seeing the Basketball Buzz guys in, like, in New York, so I think our listeners don't know about our trip to, to New York to see the Cats play UCLA, where we unfortunately lost, but we had a great time, so... That was cool. Sounds good. Uh, I, I'm sipping on some bourbon as well. Uh, life is good here in the Mile High City. Uh, great time last night at Ball Arena where my beloved uh, Denver basketball squad took care of You don't even know the name. Uh, <laughs> no, man, it's, a, it's the Nuggets. It's not, I'm, the I'm Nuggets. The nuggets, I'm from the nuggets. I can't come up with the name Witty. Uh, no, different took care of Orlando uh, and all the Dukies that play for the Magic, which uh, I, I do I do hate. Uh, Joker from way downtown as the buzzer uh, hit. It, it was glorious. It was fantastic. And my guys are leading the Western Conference. And I think today Charles Barkley said the Nuggets, I will call them by name, are the best basketball team in the world. Well, look at you, Chuck. Wow. Oh. Did, have we not talked about anything since when's the last time we did this? Michigan? I before mean, UCLA, yeah, before what? UCLA. What a it bunch was before of losers. We down. It what was a bunch, bunch of, of losers. It was a lot of depression going on. God. I will admit, it was a bit of me just not wanting to record. So I'm sorry, listeners. Well, the New York City trip was awesome. Yeah, we lost. That totally sucked. Yeah. But that was fun seeing you guys and having bourbon and eating out and going to Cat's Deli. Yeah, I met, I'm, I met Goose Givens, who, who may or may, may come on the podcast in the future, which I got to talk to him about. And he, he's got a bourbon line that he probably wants to talk about, which would be awesome. So I'll, I'll, I'll give him a, a shout out. And I, got, I, met, I met Drew Franklin. Uh, I saw Kelly Kraft was there. Um, you know, uh, a lot of other people met, met, met the president of the uh, New York UK Alumni Association. He was awesome. Um, the, the Chicago one. So I met a, we met so many great people from our uh, cat fans from across the country at Jack Dempsey's. That was awesome. I, we had a great time. Wait, wait, wait. We, we went to Katz's Deli. Where, where was I for this? I, I don't remember. That. You don't remember? That? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's. That, I remember why you don't remember that. Now that makes a lot more sense. It was funny. Funny. Shay was like hobnobbing and networking. And then Michael and I are back in the corner <laughs> getting shit faced drunk. I remember Shay asked me, do, do you do you talk to people? Like, yeah. like, no. Like, and then I say, we, I say <laughs> Speaking of new friends, we met we met Michael's friend from Denver, Evan, who was like a UCLA friend, but one of the most gregarious guys. Had a great time with him. That I so now I like one UCLA fan. <laughs> that's where it stops, it, it, it stops yeah, Evan's a great guy he's actually a UCLA grad so sometimes mm -hmm. we give people crap because they root for teams that they have no business rooting for uh, Evan did go to UCLA did graduate there and he was the officiant at my wedding so he, he's a pretty awesome. good dude and he, and he loves his bourbon too that's he's he was a great guy. Also, fun fact: I also went to UCLA. So, <laughs> so speaking of teams that you have no business rooting for, but I lived in Lexington, so 
So uh, that's a fun fact for our listeners that I am a UCLA alum. Sadly, I didn't enjoy enjoy my time there. Shay, are you putting your fandom in the in the transfer portal? No, I am not. I I was so they're not my undergrad. So that's probably why I'm not like that attached to it. Um, I'm attached to my undergrad, but not not where I went to grad school for like a year or two. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the humble brag. I love it. Yeah. All right. Let's just go through a basic agenda. I don't even know where to start because we've missed so many weeks because of sadness and depression and, you know, dry January, I guess, contributes to that as well. But we got we got to talk about the Cats win in Knoxville, which was actually historic. For, for Cal, for us, we don't yeah. do that down there. If you want to, we can talk about the previous games. I don't really want to dwell on too much. I mean, the Bama loss was horrible. The you know, uh, South Carolina loss was <laughs> really bad. Um, I think the lineup, talking about the lineup we had on Saturday, would be a good discussion. And then dive into some recruiting stuff. Shake and kind of take that. And then we'll chat about Texas and Cal and the flirtation potentially going on there and all that business but i think we should probably i don't know talk a bit about bourbon right now you guys are yeah, absolutely on some. Mm, bourbon. Shay, Shay, can you talk about bourbon first yeah absolutely so what i'm drinking right now let me let me grab it is uh starlight huber's single barrel uh four-year aged bourbon from uh barden indiana um it's an area affectionately known and and sorry if this offends some people but it's known as kentuckiana I guess from my research. So um, I don't like to be associated with Indiana. Sorry, Logan, Logan Greenwell. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm sorry about that. I don't like to be associated with Indiana, but um, this bourbon was actually a sample sent to me by a good friend to the show, Jacob Kuiper. Uh, Jacob, please get back on Twitter. We, we need to see you again. I know you're busy with your, with your startup, which is awesome with your bourbon startup. Um, but this was sent to me from him and um, you know, it is a fantastic bourbon. Again, it is from, uh, Hardin, Indiana, Barden, Indiana, it is 113.8 proof. So it is um, somewhat of a high proof bourbon, but the taste is quite surprising because it is very smooth. It's not spirit forward at all. Um, it has a lot of quote unquote legs. I think I like to describe legs as like almost like the, the viscosity of the liquid. Um, maybe even the oiliness. If you've had a bourbon that's slightly oily or feels a bit oily, I think that has to do with the viscosity. So it has a lot of legs. Um, it has a lot of subtle bourbon flavors like brown sugar, candy, cherry, honey, corn, a little bit of floral notes, a little bit of lemon. You know, it's, as I said, the, the first thing you're going to notice is, is it's, it's viscosity. It's almost like um, some of these, um, uh, you know, the liqueurs, like you've ever had like um, Cointreau or something like that, where it's got that kind of thickness like with the sugar in it but it but that's the bourbon is not in the exact same way but you get some of that same same mouthfeel so um almost like a bite so it really fantastic that it has that along with a light note which is a kind of great mix um it is a very solid bourbon i don't know what the price is for the bottle but i can highly recommend it um if you see a bottle of it and it's you know reasonable i would definitely pick it up again i think my final points are just knowing that it's such a high proof bourbon and that it has such a subtle sweet flavor without it being alcohol forward makes me think there was a lot of thought that went into the ingredients when distilling this um, to ensure that they worked well together and kind of covered up um, that, that alcohol flavor. So, um, you know, very fantastic. 
I'd probably give it, um, I would say four barrel rating. It's that good. What What's the proof? 113.8, so 114 proof. Pretty good. But it, it tastes like a 90 proof bourbon. That's That's the sweet spot, right? You yeah. find like, because I mean, I drink some high proof stuff, but I don't want to drink ethanol. You know, I want yeah. to actually taste <laughs> taste flavor. You know, that's why yeah. sometimes you're drinking 90. Well, it's like uh, Weber Preserve Double Oaked. It's like 90 proof. So much flavor. So I too delicious, prefer, man. I too prefer a lower proof bourbon. So I'm with you, but this is where kind of like, you know, where I think I told you guys earlier, like, uh, it's it's like the analogy, like square footage is de- deceiving. You don't really know, you know, <laughs> you say like, oh, certain square feet, but you don't know until you go there. It's kind of like the proof yeah. is uh, the, 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 the alcohol percentage in this is very deceiving. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can highly recommend it. Even if you're someone that, that is a sipper, uh, you will definitely enjoy this. I'll try it for sure. All right, Jerry, Mike. What, what, will you not, what will you not try? <laughs> just about anything right I, I jack daniels i will drink i'll drink you know what i even had jack daniels over christmas because i was in mexico and it they didn't have uh, anything else you know i was like and i got sick of drinking margaritas because it's just so much sugar you know just so yeah. much and you know beer eh, like uh, i'll have some it was you know not great but better than nothing i guess Better than nothing. Well, speaking of better than nothing, I've got a Michter's small batch, and it, it may be somewhat slightly better than, than nothing. Um, interesting backstory, though. So uh, Michter's Distillery originally located in Pennsylvania, and it may be one of the oldest distilleries out there. It, it dates back to the mid-1750s. Uh, it actually closed in the 80s uh, due to bankruptcy. And when they came out of bankruptcy, they uh, brought it back to Kentucky or brought it to Kentucky for the first time. It is a true small batch, uh, usually no more than a couple dozen barrels. Um, it's, I think we were talking uh, 90-ish proof. This is 91.4 proof. So, um, you know, kind of in there with what I would consider a, a bourbon sweet spot on the, the small side of things. Um when you open the bottle, it's it's a it's kind of a cool, beautiful bottle. Um, a, a bit of a, a reddish hue, maybe a, a bit of a, a cinnamon look to it. Um, on the nose, um, not overpowering. Uh, some oak, some brown sugar, some vanilla, um, maybe a little bit of, of orange or or cherry. Um, there is a, a cinnamon uh, aroma there as well. Again, nothing really overpowering. Nothing. Uh, too distinguishing about it. Um, Flavor-wise, uh, you know, I, I get uh, I get the vanilla. Uh, don't really get much of a caramel note that I prefer and that I'm used to. Um, I would say there's um, a, a lot of a lot of apple, a lot of apricot. Um, it, it's it's kind of strange, honestly, and I'm I'm wondering. If this is um, unique to this particular batch, um, it, it's it's got a short finish. There's nothing particularly noteworthy about this. It, it's not a bad bourbon, but there's nothing complex about it. Uh, th- there's nothing that would say this is a bottle that you have to go out and buy. Um, I, I 
I don't recommend putting this in a cocktail. I'm, I'm sipping on the rocks tonight, which I usually do for this show. Um, and as we've discussed before, the higher the alcohol content, the better it's going to be in a cocktail. Um, at, at 91 proof, I, I, I don't recommend putting this in the cocktail because I think it actually would get lost. Frankly, um, putting a cube of ice in it uh, may lose some of the, the bourbony flavor to begin with. Although I kind of have to, um, I, I don't enjoy really any drink um, that is not cold. So um, I, I kind of need to have my cube of ice in there. But the, the bourbon itself does get lost. Uh, again, there, there's nothing special about this. It's not bad. Uh, it's a hell of a lot better than Jack. Um, but if I'm going to give this a bourbon rating, um, you know, and, and I paid 50 bucks for the bottle, which isn't expensive, but it's also... I don't think there's a lot of value in this particular bottle. I know other uh, other brands may have um, uh, better price points. And Michter's, uh, the, the rye, if you like rye and you, you like that uh, kind of flavor, probably is better than uh, the small batch. The 10-year is probably a lot better than the small batch. I'm going to give this a, a two bourbon barrel out of five. Yeah, you're not buying that again, are you? I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I did it once, and there really isn't a bourbon on earth that I won't try once. Uh, but this is not something that I would get another time. Yep. I love your honesty. I'm not. I'm not going to get it because I mean, you gave me all the points why I wouldn't want to get it. But but you know what? I'm also not going to do. I'm also not going to stop sipping what's already in my glass. So <laughs> that. Go cats. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm doing dry January, but being the little bitch that I am on a, on a Saturday night, going out to dinner, went to a little cocktail bar called Pigtails in North Phoenix. It's a speakeasy, right? Oh yeah. I heard, I heard about it. It's cool. So I'm like, oh, I'm just going to get an appetizer. So Lori's like, you, you you're going to, you're going to drink bourbon. Are you? I'm like, maybe. So I did. <laughs> I went in there and you look at this beautiful wall of bourbon. And I'm like, I, my vision is not great, but I can see in the very top row, there's Pappy. There's, there's Pappy. So I'm like, and I'm like looking for a bourbon list. They don't have one. Like use the, we don't have a bourbon list. I'm like, well, shit. Uh, How much is a pour of the 15? He goes 70 bucks. I'm like, to me, that's reasonable. I think other parts of the country, they scoff at paying 70 bucks for a pour a two ounce pour because it was a two ounce pour oh you got a two ounce pour yeah it was he went a little heavy because he could tell that i was well my wife said he has a podcast with his friends it's a bourbon podcast so he, <laughs> he felt like well shit you know so he, he professional made a little, courtesy a little bit heavier so he brought it in a glencairn glass and he also brought a glass with a, a nice block of ice so i could sip it neat and on the rock. So I've never had the 15. I've had the, the 20 and the 23. Well, I loved it, as you would probably expect. Um, I actually liked it a little more on the rocks. Yeah. Now it had like, I mean, I, I wrote down on my phone, I'm taking notes because I'm like, I'm going to use this for the podcast. So the nose, uh, cherry, very, very prominent. A little bit of honey, a little bit of oakiness in there. Really nice. A little bit of leather on the palate. Like, wow, it's a weeded bourbon. Um, and there's a little bit of spice. So there's obviously 
some uh, spiciness going on there. The finish, oak, caramel, just a really nice, well-balanced bourbon. You know, you you try to buy this anywhere and it's like ridiculously pricey. It's like, you see prices online, it's like thousands of dollars for a bottle. The MSRP is actually $100. <laughs> That's oh, what wow. it should be. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I showed my wife and I'm like, this is why it's so special to, to get this, you know, because not every place has it. And they actually, they had a whole bunch of different cool bourbons, but I I loved it. If you've never had it and you, you go somewhere, you get it, get it, try it out. I mean, see how the other half lives. People that can spend a couple grand on a bottle of bourbon. It's really, really nice. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. Terry, let, let me tell you, they, they closed down uh, my local speakeasy here in Denver called uh, Green Russell. And that was the only place in town that always had all five pappies. And um, I, I've had all five of the pappies. I know some people will tell you that the 23 is just, it, it's, it's too expensive and you shouldn't do it. Um, I found it to be delicious and not anywhere reasonably priced, not anywhere affordable. But I'll say worth it if you're a bourbon connoisseur. Um, I also really like the 20. But at the price point and for the flavor, I think the 15-year is the best. I don't particularly care for the flavor in the 10 or the 12. But that 15-year, there's something special about that. And you paid 75. Green Russell, I think, charged uh, one and a quarter. And it's crazy because you look at, at, at the bottle and the MSRP is one thing but you can't get the bottle at MSRP. And that's, that's the shame of it all. Uh, but I, I think you did good. Anytime that there is a bourbon out there that you want to try and you have the ability to go out and try it, do it. Life is about living. Yeah, and I'm going to give it four and a half bourbon barrels. I would give it a five, but the cost obviously is the issue. Um, <laughs> if you get it at cost, it's a five, man. It's really good. If you guys are ever in Phoenix and we can meet up, this is where we would go. We would check it out. Absolutely. Sounds great. Nice. And we would bring Michael's corporate card. Uh, I can have my bags packed in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's start talking about basketball here. How about uh, how about them cats? Them ca- how, how did they go to Knoxville and win? I just never – I just didn't picture it. I was, like, already prepared for the worst. Well, you know? are we are we going to I don't want to, but are we going to talk about what happened the previous few games or can we just skip it? Because. Do you want to talk? I, I about think it we you... I think we have to do at least the compare and contrast it, 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 if just to make a couple of points. I, I, I don't know that we really want to do a full okay. recap of, of Alabama and South Carolina, but yeah, we, we need to be able to, to distinguish what happened at, at Rupp versus what happened at Thompson Bowling, because. If I told you that Kentucky would shoot 50% from the field and only commit six turnovers at home to a team that had a losing record, but Kentucky would go on the road to a top five team that's a huge rival, the Cats would only shoot 35% and commit 18 turnovers, you'd say we went one and one and you'd be right, but you'd absolutely be wrong as to which yeah. is the one and which is the other one. And that, that's, that's what I think we need to talk about because numbers can be deceiving, 
And I mean, lies, damn lies, and statistics, and I'll talk statistics all day long, but there, it was a different team. Forget about the numbers. Throw, throw them out the, the window. This was a different team traveling to Knoxville because I think they felt like they had nothing to lose because nobody thought they were going to win anyway. And they they didn't play they didn't play great except defensively. And if we learned anything from this podcast, it's Cats by 90, bourbon is great, and defense wins championships. And it does. It's, it's all about the defensive effort, the intensity, and mixing in some, uh, some made free throws does suck, too. Such a, such a strange game. They got down eight to nothing. And I was like, oh, hell. Here we go again. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah. And I was like, literally, I'm just going to go to the garage. I'm going to get my mountain bike ready. I'm going to go do a mountain bike ride and forget about it. Then all of a sudden, they just responded. What do you think, Shay? So in terms of the Bama game, um, clearly Bama's plan was to exploit Oscar Sheway. And, and I know fans get very, like they retreat to a place. Other people on Twitter will retreat to this place and get very agitated if you say anything bad about Oscar Sheway. And now I think people are char- starting to realize that he's just been horrific defensively. This season, if I can say, he has been the cause of a lot of problems. Of course, he also keeps you in games offensively. I think he's a way better low post scorer than a lot of people give him credit for. He's very crafty, but on the defensive side of the ball, he's really bad on switches. He doesn't have a lot of length. He doesn't provide rim protection. So when you have Charles Betty Iko on Bama, they went right at it. And shout out to Nate Oates, hope maybe a future Kentucky coach. Um, You know, his name is really rising. Um, He went right at it. And you can see what he does when he has an elite defense for once and he has an elite offense. And once they set that tone that Oscar was going to exploit it, I don't think there's anything that 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 Kentucky could do. And I, I couldn't bear to watch it. So I was in Mexico. Sorry, I, I turned that off. I'm sorry. And thank God I had really poor reception. <laughs> but um, I think that's what happened against Bama. And I think USC was just a lot of team a lot of team dysfunction and really being down. And I'm going to chalk that loss up to them because they had a chance to win it at the end, but they clearly were not focused. Um, there were a lot of injuries also, right? We were down a few players. I think Toppin didn't yeah. play, right? Um, we were, but interestingly enough, we were down against, we were down a lot of players against uh, Tennessee and we came back Tennessee. and won that game. Yeah. So, um, you know, clear, guys clearly not healthy and, and we, yeah, d- you're right. Like defense, it's a lot about effort and a lot about positioning as it is just raw measurables that can go up and, and block a shot. And so sometimes the best defensive teams in the nation are not always necessarily the biggest or the, or the fastest. They're the ones that communicate the best. And I saw a lot more communication um, against the Vols. I don't know. I feel like, you know, and, and Sean Vinsel and Evan, Evan Miyazaki, I think is another guy on Twitter that are kind of like their stats guys have been trying to say that, you know, severe Wheeler isn't the problem. Severe Wheeler's, not the problem. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't play severe Wheeler at all. I'm just saying that I think the team looks a lot better or feels more urgency on the offensive end, particularly CJ Frederick and Antonio Reeves when Kaysen Wallace is running the point. But it looks like you sacrifice Kaysen Wallace's offensive abilities when you run him at the point. But he's a far better team defender than Kaysen is. He's bigger. He can guard a lot more people. 
So I'm kind of wondering, maybe we, we run with that lineup. Maybe we run with the Kaysen, CJ, Reeves, Toppin, and Oscar lineup. So I, I genuinely think that that effort combined with that change in lineup may have been the difference against um, Tennessee, specifically because you saw a lot more movement from Reeves They moved and CJ. They moved a lot more purpose. Um, they looked a lot more confident knowing that they were going to get ball, the ball in their spots. Um, so maybe that, that may be something. I think it's the best lineup. I think the fact that we haven't played that lineup very often is really like, what a mistake. And Case is not even healthy right now. Like, I'd love to see him healthy and have that lineup. Um, I thought CJ played with such a sense of urgency about him. Like, he was aggressive. Yeah. And he just, he just looked different. You know, he just he, looked like he came to play. He looked like Iowa CJ Reeves plus more. And I don't know. I mean, I think them both. I think this is like the first game they both played well, Reeves and CJ, because it's usually one or the other or sometimes none. Exactly. This is the first game they both played well. And I think it perhaps has to do with Kaysen not dominating the ball like Severe sometimes does. And I'm wondering if you're Cal, I know he won't do it, but just try it out. Because if you keep running the same gimmick and it doesn't work, you you don't keep doing it. You move on to the next one. <laughs> so well, look, look well, what, what, what's, what's the harm? Yeah, well, what's the harm in having Sevilla come off the bench? I mean, I I, I don't I, I get that he puts up great numbers, and I, I I'm I'm not a hater. I'm not an apologist. I'm probably like a lot of people somewhere in between. I, I think we've made the point on this show, as others have, that if you want to run um, a higher tempo, a higher octane kind of game then Wheeler gets more minutes, and, and that's fantastic. But in the half court, yeah, like he's out there dribbling the ball. He's out there taking up a half of the shot clock. Um, that that doesn't really work well for this team. I mean, wh- when you look at um, the loss at South Carolina, um, that was a 57-possession game. Kentucky is not an up-tempo team to begin with, despite the fact that I think we would all probably advocate for that, or at least more than we're getting currently, if you look at their adjusted tempo, they rank 277th in the nation. They're getting less than 66 possessions a game. The D1 average is almost 68 possessions a game. I mean, I'd like to be able to get the ball out more, get space, move it. And that's where I think Wheeler can provide the greatest benefit but if that's not the game that you're going to play, or if that's not the game that you're going to at least desire to play, uh, try to force that with with a, a full court press or or you know half court traps or doing some things, um, then I, I'm going to advocate for wheels coming off the bench. Yeah, I, well, look I, what look what Tennessee did with Ziegler, right? Ziegler was a yeah. starter. Then they lost to Colorado, and he, he played like shit. Rick Barnes publicly said he played like shit. They brought him off the bench, and I mean, what's what's the harm of that? I, I and I I got yelled at on Twitter uh, for saying that Wheeler's better as a transition point guard because I guess the data shows that he's better in the half court, but the eye test tells me that. Go ahead, Michael. No, I, I was going to say that I think there's a difference between the player 
being better and the team, team being better. Being, yeah, his but, numbers may be great and fantastic. No, but it, in the half it's court. also the offense. Apparently, the offensive efficiency is better with him in. I, I don't. The stats don't make like any sense. But the eye test tells me that when Severe Wheeler's in transition, it covers up the fact that he's short. It allows him to be. You know, let's be honest. Is that a short joke? Can, is that a short joke, yeah. Shay? <laughs> he can. He can only be. He, he's very left hand dominant. But that gets covered up in the transition um, uh, when there's not as many defenders that he has to go through. Um, and, and again, I've said this again. I may say things about Severe Wheeler. The guy's a 5'8 basketball player with no athleticism playing Division One basketball at Kentucky. And he scored 14 and 8 or whatever. He, that's what he averaged at Georgia at the Division One level. At some level, the dude is a damn good basketball player. So there's no, there's no saying he's not a good basketball player. It's just for the team. I think that I, the eye test tells me that he should be playing in a transition and CJ should be playing, or sorry, uh, Kaysen should be playing, be the point guard during half court offense. And then I just saw the difference in CJ and Antonio when, when Kaysen was a point guard, they kind of thought that they were going to hit the ball. They were more aggressive. CJ was far more aggressive. And you know what? I know that Antonio Reeves is not a distributor, but I would love to see some possessions where he's the primary ball handler. Um, Maybe mainly because he's way better on the ball than he is off the ball. That's what his role was at Illinois State. He could really cook. He could be really, really be used in in the the pick and roll with Jacob Toppin and with um with Oscar Sheboy. Please not Damian Collins. I don't want any more Damian Collins mid range jumpers. Um, so I want to no. see I want to see Reeves with more of the ball in his hand, and I think he can be a lot better. Uh, and then going back to Severe Wheeler, I would love to see a comparison of point guards across college basketball in assist percentage and assist number versus time of possession because i think me thinks that maybe he may be racking up assist numbers but also dominating the possession of the ball kind of like rondo did but obviously not at that like high level in the nba where rondo was had the ball in his hands like so much of the time it was almost like if he was going to make the pass to score it was it was somebody was going to do it it was going to be him and then no wonder he had really high assists so I would love to see that to see if he's really actually being efficient with the ball because the eye test tells me it feels like everyone's standing around and he's dribbling at the ball for 20 seconds and then we're trying to run on this. What do you think Cal's going to do tomorrow night? I mean, I'm like, this is, a, this is a big deal. Like if, if, he's, if Wheeler's back, his shoulder's okay, and he starts, there's, it's just going to – the fan base is going to be like, ugh. You think, know, I, I, he's going to go with Wheeler. I, he, Wheeler has like the longest leash of like any Cal player outside of Keon Brooks. Like he can do no wrong in Cal's eyes. And I think it's because he gets after it defensively. Like, don't get me wrong. He's not a dog, but he gets after it always defensively. He always like gives effort, um, but he's not a dog. <laughs> he doesn't have that dog in him like Kaysen yeah. does. But I also feel like Cal has become really, really, really understanding as he's gotten older that's the right word i don't want to say soft but like just a lot more sensitive to players and yes kids now these days are a lot more sensitive blah 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 we know this boomer Mm -hmm. argument but i think he thinks he's gonna lose severe wheeler if he doesn't play him or he doesn't start him and in the cal in the cal of the mid-2000s or the 2010s would bench a dude and just be like next to you, dude up. I don't care about your feelings, but I think old Cal is a lot more loving and sensitive, which might be a detriment. Maybe why he's not been the same coach that he has been in the past. That's just a theory. No sources on this, just a theory. 
Well, and you know, there's always been that unwritten rule in, in most sports that you don't lose your starting position because of injury. Um, I think as I see Shay go for another pour, nicely done, sir. Um, I, I think this may be one of those situations again where we're going to have to see Wheeler actually play poorly before things change. And I, I love Cal and I love how he loves his players, but like, you know, find somebody in life that you can love as much as Cal loves Wheeler. Cause that's, that's maybe an unhealthy love for the rest of the team, but he cares about the person. He cares about the player. And I, I have to respect that. Even if that may not be the best decision for the team, I think maybe Cal wants to see something a bit more measurable before he pulls the trigger and says it's best for wheels to come off the bench. But I, I hope what's happening right now, I mean, we can talk about what happens if that decision ever gets made. I hope right now one of the things that the staff is doing is they're prepping mentally and emotionally, they're prepping Wheeler for that inevitability because that's got to be what it's, what it's about. Because you're right, Shay, you don't want somebody mentally checking out because he's not getting the minutes or he's not starting. You have to massage that ego and you have to really kind of uh, help that player understand what his best usage is for the role of the team. And as long as they do that, then you know this may be a win-win, even if it doesn't happen as quickly as we wanted it to. I genuinely believe that I would love if you bring Wheeler off the bench at the first TV timeout, depending on the situation. Uh, you know, you you start half court trapping, uh, or you start full court pressing, you start full court trapping. Um, you bring Wheeler in that situation, you speed up the tempo at that point. Once the starters are kind of gone out and you have some subs in. And really, and you got to explain to them, like, this is where you shine. We're going to put you in positions where you shine. Because this entire, this entire season has been full of, full of, of Cal putting guys in the positions where they're not very good. And I, it's really confounding. And he's the Hall of Fame coach. But it seems like all the rest of us are like, this doesn't make any sense. This is the exact opposite of what you should do. Why are you doing this? And what do you know that I don't know? Like, he did that with Severe, made him a half-court point guard. He's doing it with Antonio Reeves where, okay, you're a catch-and-shoot guy off the wing. Antonio Reeves is not a catch-and-shoot basketball player. If you watch Antonio Reeves at Illinois State, the dude cooks and then takes a step back three. The dude gets to the bucket, and what he anytime that he, he has the ball, he like generally does something good with it. You know, He's missed some shots, but he gets those shots off, and they're usually open shots. So I am okay with him with him shooting it. And so that's that's what I would do with Severe Wheeler. That's what I said I would do with Severe Wheeler at the beginning of the season. It's not a perfect strategy, but it, I don't know what it is, why he's so committed to Severe Wheeler being the starting point guard of this team. Maybe it's because he understands the offense a lot more than Kaysen does as a freshman. That's the only thing I can think of. But I still think you roll the dice at this point with six losses. You roll the dice with 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 Kaysen because you're dangerously close to just not being NCAA tournament viable and going to the NIT. And it's love. It's great to love a kid, but I mean, at the cost of your job, <laughs> it's like what I'm going to say. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say this. I mean, Kaysen, who was not a hundred percent at all, with lower back issues did pretty well uh, versus Tennessee. 
And Adu came in and played some valuable minutes too. Like I was so impressed with him. I don't know. I just hope during the Georgia game, if if Wheeler does start the game, if there's, you know, you, you see that pattern again, he gets pulled and Kaysen gets to have the opportunity to play the point and we can use our two scorers and you know, let them do their thing. No, I was saying, I can't remember who it was, but who, who did the majority of guarding uh, Santi Vescovi during Tennessee? Like who got the assignment? Was it Reeves? I saw some Reeves. I saw some Kaysen. Uh, I saw a lot of um, Kaysen on, on Ziegler, but the point is that like, Santiago Vescovi is one of the most underrated basketball players I've ever seen in my entire life. He's probably the most underrated guy in the SEC. The dude just straight up ball. Like, I don't care that he's not that big. I don't care that he's a white dude. I don't care, like, all that stuff. The guy can play basketball. The dude is a pro. He should be playing pro basketball somewhere. He's going to be playing pro basketball next year or wherever. When you shut him down, Tennessee kind of goes. He's like... He's always there to hit a big three. How He's been good for three years now since he got to Tennessee. I fear playing him because of how good he is. He's sneaky, yeah. around, he's sneaky around screens. Uh, he's confident. He, he will attack the basket for his size. Whoever was there guarding him, I think that was a big difference in the game. Um, and it was also a big difference that uh, Plavisic, who is a horrible guy. I hate that dude. I tweeted. I, I have a. I usually don't tweet at players, but I'll tweet at him all day because he's just he's, <laughs> he's a dirty a, basketball player. He's such a dick. He's such. He's a. He's a, a dirty. He. It was like Fulkerson was like, I want to be the most hated, hated by Kentucky fans, and Plavisic was like, hold my, hold my beer. Like he's a dirty, horrible basketball player, and I know this for a fact. The Kentucky players hate him with a passion, particularly Lance Ware and Oscar oh, Shibuya to a less, yeah. lesser extent, but they are, they hate him. They've been having battles going back verbal mouthy battles uh, messaging each other and talking shit um they hate him lance hates him um and you can see that lance hates him lance was giving him shit but like <laughs> he, he he's just not he's a plotter he's he's gotten a lot better i'll give him that he's gotten so much better offensively than he was before he looks so dominant on the offensive end but he can't guard oscar and that's another reason why we had a chance against tennessee but against teams that's got a long mobile big man i don't know what we're gonna do Oscar, he just got to give more effort. He's got to give more effort, and that's all we can do. Yeah, he actually scored well. He only had three rebounds. I mean, that was the part of the game that I just couldn't believe how much we dominated. We dominated the boards. Plus 20. Man. And and doing that when they were really playing a physical basketball game that was borderline dangerous, like, that shows that Kentucky team was, like, not going to fold under for once, not going to fold when he got hit in the mouth because they yeah. were they were going at us at Kentucky players. To uh, it was like the Patriots, like they were getting away with fouls on every play, and the rest were like, "We can't call them all, so I don't know what to do." Like, yeah, hip, hip checks and shoulder checks and like uh, arms in the chest and guys throwing. I saw guys getting thrown to the ground multiple times. Like, wow, like you can't. How are you getting away with this? Kentucky literally got hit in the mouth. Yeah, literally got hit in the mouth. But yeah, Shay, I think to your point that the refs are like, well, we we just we refuse to call every foul that's out there because you could. It it was a battle. It was a battle down low. It was a battle uh, guard versus guard. Uh, It it was it it really was surprising that Kentucky seemed to be able to handle 
Tennessee easily on the boards. Um, that's that's an area where they struggled against South Carolina. South Carolina actually out-rebounded Kentucky, and yet Kentucky goes down to Knoxville and does a number down there, uh, 43 to 23, plus 20 on, on the boards. Uh, offensive rebounds 10 to 3 Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky is the number two Ken Palm offensive rebounding team in the country, grabbing uh, a higher percentage of their, their own misses. And I know this has been maybe not a strategy, but this has been um, an effective way that Kentucky has won games in, in recent years is throw it up there and we're going to go get it. And that's one of the things that we can count on Oscar to do. We may not be able to count on him consistently to be the best on-ball defender. We may not be able to count on him consistently to mentally be in the game and be present for 40 minutes. But I think one of the things that we can count on him to do is always be to the ball and always be, this is my ball, you're not going to get it. And if we get that out of Oscar, um, you know that, that, that may be enough against a lot of teams. I, I don't think we give Kentucky enough credit for how good they are offensively. Um, they may rank number 65 in Ken Palm's adjusted defense, but they're still 21 in offense. Kentucky is a really good offensive team. Unfortunately, they're a really good offensive team that has spurts where they shoot for shit. Yeah. And we saw that against Alabama. I mean, a 26-point loss on the road is is a bad loss. But, um, you know, that, that didn't have to be a 26-point loss. Shooting 28, 29% from the floor – you're not going to beat anybody, let alone a good team, let alone a good team on the road. Yeah. But, you know, when this team hits shots, and they're certainly capable of that, um, adjusted offense from an individual player standpoint, uh, CJ ranks number 19 in the country. I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people know that because he's had some struggles. He's had some games where he hasn't really been present. And we know that he struggled defensively, and it's hard sometimes to keep him out there. But, like, this team ha still has the same pieces now that they did going into this year when we said, oh, yeah, th this is a team that can go to the Final Four. And this is a team that can go to the Final Four because they can hit buckets. They, they have multiple players that can do things from everywhere on the court. It's still those same people. It, it, yeah. it still is. It, I, it, I, I implore our fans not to give up. Simply because we haven't played good defense yet. Defense is learned. And I think I, this is something that we're getting to the heart of the season now where we're going to figure out, does this team have the ability and the desire to learn to play defense to stay in games that can be, and be competitive so that our offense can hit shots and win games? I don't know, but I'm not saying no yet. It's it, But uh, I want to refute your point because – I don't doubt I, – I, I still – you know, a lot of people have been saying that, okay, well, it looks like these guys aren't as good as we thought they were. Yes, to an extent, but I also believe that Cal is putting limits on what they can do, which makes them predictable for other teams. And I will argue that – I mentioned to you guys earlier that we're like top 60 in, in three-point percentage. And we're like 267th on attempts per game of all Division One teams. So clearly shooting the threes are strength, 
but we don't actively go and do that. Severe Wheeler and Jacob Toppin, when they're on the court, I know that Jacob Toppin's percentage is low, but I feel confident that he can make threes if he's given a large volume. But, and Severe Wheeler, who shot quite well this season, but he's shot at late, late, late clock situations, bailout threes, very few threes that he's taken where they were intended. The opposing defenses know he's not going to shoot it. It's not about whether he can shoot it or not. They know that Cal's not going to let him shoot it. Cal's not letting Jacob Toppin shoot it. You become predictable. You don't stretch the floor. This is not modern basketball. And so I think Cal is the limiting factor in this situation. If that was me, I would want Jacob Toppin to shoot open threes. If he's got the ball and he's open, shoot it. I feel confident he's going to make 33% of them. If you're severe, shoot it. He's been doing that a little bit more this season. He's cut out his mid-range jumpers. I think that really opens things up because the defenses right now on, on games we've lost just been collapsing. They've just been collapsing around Oscar while guys hold it around the perimeter. It creates no driving lanes for Antonio Reeves. It's it's a big problem. So you can you you got to have you don't have to have five shooters, but you have to have four guys that are willing to shoot and the defense believes are going to shoot. That's my offensive philosophy. Um, four guys on the court at any time that believe they're going to shoot. Plus, maybe a guy that's going to take long-range jumpers if he's open. Um, and I, I don't know. You've said that the offensive efficiency is good. I've seen some of the most terrible offense I've ever seen in basketball this year. Like, truly, with this with this Kentucky team, it's honestly borderline unwatchable. And I think a lot of things are going to get fixed with that three-point shooting, with allowing Reeves to be on the ball, with running with Cason Wallace, Reeves, and C.J., I think a lot of things will look much better. Um, but your best offense cannot be, let's get an offensive rebound. That cannot be your go-to offense. It's just not sustainable. And we're not the only team doing it. Like, Duke's got that same issue. Their best offense is get an offensive rebound. And I, I, I just don't agree. I don't want that to be our best offense. Jay, I, I don't think it's our best offense. Or maybe it has been. But I agree. It, it shouldn't be. But how many times do we hear uh, NBA cats that, Maybe jokingly, maybe not so jokingly, uh, Chide Cal saying, hey, you held me back. How many times have we heard Carl Anthony Towns say, you wouldn't let me shoot a three? And he's, what, the second all-time leading three-point shooter in Minnesota Timberwolves history now? He's going uh, to be the best. When all said and done, Carl Towns will be the best big man shooter of all time. He's going to overtake Dirk. He's on, he's on pace. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll I'll drink to that. Yeah. The the, the point being that uh, yeah you, you're you're spot on. You're you're on the money here. Um, I I think we both can be right about this. Kentucky has the offensive pieces, but Cal has to let them do what they do best, and Cal has to trust them. And I I think that's where there's like an inherent conflict of interest, because when your job is predicated on the performance of 19 20 year old kids like you know you may not fully be able to trust them until they show you that you can trust them and maybe he feels like that that's not where they are and that's you know what came first the chicken or the egg do you give them uh all the rope to go out and to do what they do and if they do it great and if they don't you lose or how much coaching actually is involved with trying to do something different that may be uh, maybe more conservative, but you may have a, uh, a greater chance of winning within a certain parameter set. But once you get on the other side of that parameter set, it kind of blows up. 
I'm curious about this next stretch of games to see if Cal lets the puts the right guys on the court. I mean, them play K- ball. Kansas is very beatable, but I've I've watched games this year that they've looked really good. I don't think that the Cats win this game, but I think that they can play really well. Um, again, remember this team kept it. This team was like was be- looked better than Michigan State at one point when they played earlier in the season. So I, I I'm in the minority, but I've had a lot of people I talked to that would know. They're like, oh yeah, well you know what, these guys are just not it. This guy's just not that good. Jacob Toppin's not that good. Kaysen Wallace is not that good. Antonio Reeves is not that good. I actually think that this is a great roster. You know, I just think that everybody was playing poorly at the same time. There are yeah. plenty of Division One teams that have way worse rosters that are look way better than us. So it's not it's not a player personnel issue. In my opinion, it is a coaching issue. Um, not that our coach is a bad coach. I love Cal. I just don't. I think that he has reached old man Cal, and I think I want to see some more modern takes. I want to see some more outside of the box thinking. Um, shout out to KG, by the way, uh, Kentucky guy. He's Colby. He's got. He's got. He's convinced me that maybe Nate Oates is the future. <laughs> and if you want to talk about a guy that thinks outside the box, the guy that um, you know does it follow the what everybody else does it's Nate Oates you should see some of the or hear about some of the the things he implements in practice to try to mentally train his team to forget about everything that they learned about basketball in the past from their previous coaches and follow what is more statistically better for them um, to encourage those behaviors and that's really like some sort of Six Sigma thinking, right? Like whatever, you know, like really, Lane, really, Lane six Sigma, Lane Sigma, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's some really like modern, you know, I don't know whether he got some consultants in there to talk about. I mean, like, it's he's really, an it's really brilliant. He's an analytics guy, though. He's, yeah. he's heavy into the numbers. Well, so there you go. Like, you know, I want to see some of that combined with, you know, the eye test, traditional yeah. coaching, but this grinded out basketball is not. It's not working anymore, in my opinion. Yeah, let's talk about it. We'll talk about Texas, their flirtation potentially with Cal. And if that were to happen, hypothetically, Oates would be one of the top candidates for the for the job. So, Well, I want him to be. And I don't know if he'll be one of the top candidates, but that's another discussion. <laughs> is, is Texas serious about this? I, I mean, well, per, per, per Travis Branham, who is – one of the best, if not the best in the business outside of Andrew Slater, um, have said that there's been mutual contact, maybe between Cal's agent, maybe mm-hmm. and Texas. Um, other people I've talked to have said that, you know, Cal staying put, that would mm-hmm. know, are saying that Cal has no plans to leave. Uh, so, you know, and, and if I'm Texas, listeners may not like this, but I'm really thinking hard whether I'm even hiring Cal. Because it, it's like a flashy name. The best thing I can think of is like buying like an old model, later model BMW or a later model Mercedes. Like it looks really cool. You're going to look badass as fuck driving it around, but you're going to spend a lot of time in the shop. Right. So like, is that what you want to do for $9 million a year? Like, you know, is that, is that, is that a good use of money considering that Chris Beard had a really damn good team from transfers and guys he got locally in Texas and if I'm Texas, I'm probably passing. I'm probably going with uh, Matt Painter, Nate Oates, and Eric Musselman, 
uh, uh, someone who's young, who's going to be around, who's not going to have like four or five years left in him. But I think Texas is about the flash. So I could see it happening. If I'm Cal, I don't know. If I'm Cal, I'm rolling the dice staying at Kentucky because I got a very good recruiting class coming in. Um, I am at the I'm at Camelot, basically, of, of I'm at the top of, uh, of college basketball. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not going to be able to get I probably won't be able to get the recruits I can get. But at, at, at Kentucky, at Texas, and it's a whole new job. I got to start over. And if I'm not coaching that many much longer and I have to give up my 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 one million dollar year contract as an ambassador, am I doing it? You know, I don't know. What, what do they call it, Michael? You're a financial advisor. What do they call it when you get like what um, when you when you have like a, a set payout? What's it called? You know, what I'm talking annuity about annuity payment. Annuity payment. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, I had a brain fart. So you got an annuity payment basically just to for, to wait 12 months. Would you Would you leave? No. Considering you would, you, if you left your yourself, you would lose your buyout. You basically can hold your employer hostage. Yeah, I don't. I don't see Cal leaving for a lot of those reasons you mentioned. He's so far into the game. Um, I, I think he doesn't want to go. If anybody goes, <laughs> Mitch would be the one that would probably yeah. be the one to go. I mean, that's kind of the talk of the last week or so is Barnhart. Yeah, Mitch, Mitch's time is Mitch's time is over. But like, I will also say this: that I would love for Cal to say at least through the end of next season, but. If Cal goes, I want to tell Kentucky fans, take a deep breath. It's okay. It's all right. We may lose the recruiting class. But from business school, I can tell you that sometimes organizations and corporations, any organization needs a fresh perspective, a fresh way of thinking, even if the previous CEO or leader was successful. It's always good. And it sometimes nothing bad comes from that. Right? Am I right, Michael? Like you just yeah, you, it's, yeah, you are, man. It, it's sometimes it's it's addition by subtraction. Yeah, and and I, I, I'm here to tell you, I don't think it makes sense for Cal because I don't think he's in it for the money, and I don't, and I think he's a little older. If he was more about the money and he was five years younger, I think it'd be a different story. Texas would scare me in that scenario because I feel like. They've got the deepest pockets around. Like they have unlimited. For basketball? Well, the department's biggest. Yeah. 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 I I realize that it's not football. And I'm not trying to compare Texas football with Texas basketball, but just at the athletic program level, I I think that they would script whatever checks they needed to script. They would rob whatever banks they needed to rob. They would do whatever needed to be done. But. I just don't – I feel like that Cal recognizes that this really isn't in his best interest to move. So I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I don't want it to happen. Um, I don't want it to happen yet. I, I've I'm, heard I'm not, I heard from someone, I don't know how credible, that he's already ready to go through a different job and he has another job lined up. They haven't, haven't said if it's Texas, but they've said that he's already lined up. But, like – I don't know how credible this person is. And if Mitch makes the right hire, it's going to be okay. But I'm a, I am I would sleep well at night if Mitch was not the AD. Like, my, my main concern is not Cal leaving. My Mitch main concern is 
It's conservative ass Mitch. No offense, Michael. <laughs> conservative ass Mitch being there, being being the AD and hiring Chris Holtman just because he's from he Michigan. Yeah, he, he would hire Holtman. Uh, and uh, Holtman, uh, Holtman wants to get uh, people, OSU fans, Ohio, the Ohio State fans want to fire uh, uh, fire Holtman. So why, why are we doing that? No, no, no. Two, two things. One is, as I pour another one of this, uh, did I give us a, a two bourbon barrel? I mean, it's... It, I, now it's a three and a half. It's a yeah, three and a half now. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It is. Uh, I've, I've got uh, bourbon goggles are up. Um, so two things. One is, uh, I think Mitch has done an outstanding job at being an athletics director and not simply a cheerleader for whatever your flagship program is. However, I think he should have been more of a cheerleader for the flagship program, which is men's basketball. But we, I don't, I think we do Mitch a disservice when we overlook all the different programs, men's and women's, that have competed at the highest level, have been ranked in the top 20, have taken home conference championships, national championships under his watch. I don't know how much credit I necessarily want to give him for that, but I want to make sure that he's associated with that because at least it happened on his watch. But I think it's, I think it's time for him to do other things. I, I think he's been there long enough that um, if you get fresh blood in his role, I think a lot of other things naturally run their course in the right way. So I'd love to see Mitch step aside. I think he's done a great job overall, like building a lot of different programs to, you know, national recognition. But this whole relationship he has with Cal and how that looks, like from, the, from an optics standpoint, it looks really bad. And yes. that, you know, and that that call that he had with uh, with Stoops during the whole fiasco, and it was like he was picking sides, and I, ah, just drove me nuts. Like he handled I, it so poorly. I've done I've done so many case studies on this at at business school that like when you don't make the hire you want to hire, you have this deep seated animosity toward this person that goes on, and it's very difficult to like get rid of that. But you cannot, and, and one of them has to go. Maybe both of them have to go, but like at least one of them has to go because your AD and your head basketball coach of the biggest program in college basketball cannot be publicly feuding. And from what I understand that, like, we'll talk about recruiting later, but it, it had a, a big impact on recruiting because of this uncertainty around the, the head coaching job. Um, yeah. But before we get there, I would love to talk about like who you guys think should be considered for the role when and where. I'm not saying that Cal should be fired. I absolutely not. At the very least, it makes no financial sense for UK to fire him, and he deserves better than that. But when the time will inevitably come, who should be considered? I'm making one phone call. I'm only making one phone call. I'm not making a second phone call. I'm calling Billy Donovan, and that's my only phone call. I will give Billy Donovan whatever the hell he wants. You have unlimited amounts of money. You have unlimited amounts of authority and decision-making. You can do what you want. I trust Billy Donovan, period. He's a fantastic coach. He's a Kentucky guy. He understands it. He gets it. Is he a little older than we may like? 
I, I mean, I don't know. He's been around for a long time. Could we get him? Probably not. But he's my one and only phone call. And you know what I would do? I, actually, I, I'm, I'm going to take a step back. My first phone call is to Pat Riley. Not, not because I want him <laughs> to be coach. Not because I want him to be coach. AD? <laughs> my, my, my phone call to Pat Riley is to talk Billy Donovan into accepting the job. Yeah. Those are my two phone calls. Fair. I don't know who I would pick. Because <laughs> all the hot shot guys don't have any titles. And that always kind of scares me. I, I, I want like a Jay Wright is what I want, you know? A guy that's won a couple. Can we get him out of retirement, though? <clears throat> in the horse farm. No, well, um, Whatever it takes. So, get him a closet full of great suits. So the Norlander and Parrish, a podcast that I listen to here and there, um, with Ion College Basketball, like they, obviously a lot of people have problems with them, but like the fact is that like, yes, Parrish hates Kentucky because he is a Memphis fan. And so when Cal left Memphis, he automatically hated Kentucky. But they do talk to college basketball coaches every day as a part of their podcast. They run a lot of polls, like informal polls. They just want to get uh, the pulse. They want to get the temperature. And they've said that it's it's the reason that Jay Wright left coaching is he didn't want to navigate NIL. That was the that was the reasoning there. So I love Jay Wright. I think he would do a great job in Kentucky. I don't want a coach that isn't going to navigate NIL because I think that we got to think the future. We got to think about what's going on in the future. That's how, you know, I know this has been a business theme podcast, but like, that's what corporations do. They think about what is the, what is the, what is the blue ocean? That's the term. What is the blue ocean of, of, of college basketball? Right. And so um, Cal used to do that. Cal used to 100% do that. And we need a coach that's going to think that way. And I think Nate Oates might be the guy, but I'm going to run down my list of who I would go through. And, Absolutely, unequivocally, 100% agree with Michael. My number one call is Billy Donovan. No doubt. Billy Donovan is Kentucky's prodigal son. It, Billy Donovan deserves the, to get a call, even if he's going to say no. It's been his job for 20-plus years now, and I would love to see him come home over being an NBA coach, um, even if he hates recruiting, even if he does that stuff. He's got the pedigree. He's got the NBA uh, ability. He's got the coaching ability. He's like Rick without all the issues. Um, call him Billy Donovan first. Make him say no. But definitely and, and with the, the staff that that man could get, too. Yep. I mean, it's not yeah. just you get him, but the staff he could create would be amazing. He could he could reconnect with some of the Kentucky guys that were from the, the 80s all the way up to the mid-90s. He could yep. really get those guys back in the fold, combine them with the Cal guys. So I'm, I'm calling him. Uh, I'm also calling Jay Wright just to gauge the interest. Yep. Um, then I'm calling the next three guys I'm calling. I'm calling Nate Oates. I'm calling Scott Drew. Scott Drew is, is palatable to Mitch. Um, Scott Drew has, if you guys remember that, I mean, some of our listeners, maybe not, maybe not on this podcast, but some of the people that we talked to on Twitter too old to remember how six feet under that Baylor program was like Baylor had a guy on the team murder another dude on the team. Like, that's what was going on. That's how bad it was. And Scott Drew had four losing seasons and then has had 16 winning seasons since then. And I think the least amount of games he's won is 19 in any of those seasons. And that dude took that program from a six feet under, the worst program in, in Division One, to a national championship in basically 20 years, and he's only 52 years old. And 
he gets paid something like two to three million dollars a year. We could easily double, if not triple, his salary. We could um, give him a bigger like. What else does he have to prove at Baylor? They're not going to be mad that he leaves. They're going to be like, "Wow, you gave us a national championship. You know, next this is next challenge for him. Why should I? You know, why should I not move on to the next challenge of coaching at the highest level in college basketball?" So I am inclined to think that Scott Drew says yes. If Scott Drew becomes the coach, I'm okay with it. After Scott Drew, I'm think I'm calling Nate Oates, who thinks outside the box. I already mentioned it. Um, Nate Oates is young, has a great offense, learning to coach defense. I'm calling Eric Musselman, who has not been kind of disappointing this year. Um, um, but I think he has the energy. He's 58, but he still has the energy of a much younger man. And I think he would do really well with his personality at UK. After that, brace yourselves. I may think about calling Rick Pitino. Get out. Just as a, just as a short-term <laughs> rental. As a short-term <laughs> rental. The dude is a top three XO well, coach in college. He, he's all about the short term. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I and cannot then, see that ever happening. And then after that, after that, hear me out. We talked about this. I ran a Twitter poll about this with the anonymous resume of a coach. And I was like, would you hire him? And it was Sean Miller. Sean Miller has won 73% of his games. He's won over 400 games in his entire career. He's gone to multiple elite eights, multiple sweet 16s. He recruits really well. He has continuity from Cal. So he could keep Cal staff around. He could get a lot of the guys that Cal gets. He's obviously doesn't have the pedigree of what Cal had. He's got the, he's been cleared by the NCAA, but you know what? I, I don't, I don't worry too much about things guys did to get dudes on their campus because they were trying to get their program to succeed. And I know that every college division one team does cheating at some level, some level, and that's just the cost of doing business. It's like a corporation that knows that whatever they do, they're going to have fines for it. It's the cost of doing goddamn business. And he tried to do that to make the Arizona program better. He's a, he's a distant call, but he's, in my opinion, he's a call. He's like seventh or eighth, but he's a call. After that, you probably think about Tommy Lloyd, think about Jerome Tang, Todd Golden, Dennis Gates. I hope we don't even have to go there, but those, that's kind of like my list. Dan Hurley, maybe. Even. But that, like, those are guys I, are far down. I, I hope we don't even have to get there. If no, God no. I, I think Scott Drew, you you made a good case for him. Like he kind of checks a lot of the boxes, and he has a title in that title game. They destroyed Gonzaga. Like the man can coach. He builds good rosters. They play good defense. Um, he would do well at Kentucky. Yeah. Well, go shout ahead, out go to ahead. to my buddy uh, at Phil Division. I'm not. At, I'm not the coach, Phil. He's pointed out that, you know, a lot of a lot of Scott Drew's success was with Jerome Tang, who's now at Kansas State, who is a was a fantastic assistant coach. He's basically like uh, he's basically Scott Drew's Tommy Lloyd, if that makes sense. And I think Kansas State is like 14 and one or something like that. They're killing it. And Kansas State even got um, Ulrich Maligi from Texas, who was uh, uh, Texas's top assistant, one of the best assistants in the nation. So he may not be as good without his, his Jerome Tang. So that's something to think about, but I definitely think that the realistic options, I feel like Donovan's going to say no, even if you give him a call, I think the realistic options we have to get through are Scott drew Nate Oates and Eric Musselman. And if one of those three dudes are going to be coach, I'm okay. I'm sleeping well at night. The problem is I don't even know why Chris Holtman is on the list for Mitch. Other than he's from Nicholasville, like, oh, okay, I'm from Lexington. Should I be coach? 
So like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, Shay. Throw uh, your name Shay, in, the, in the ring. Yeah, Shay. What when you get the job? I I want to be an assistant. I mean, let, let's be Dude, honest. I, I don't even know awesome. if I want I want the job. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you Asian dog ears. There's a special kind of dude that I think Nate Oates is and Eric Musselman are. Like, those two guys, Nate Oates is a dog. Like, he is, like, he wants to smoke. And I think that he would do really well at Kentucky. I really do think he would. And not to mention his, his, um, his assistant, Brian Hodgson, a lot of people don't, factor in like the quality of staff that a guy can assemble but his his assistant brian hodgson is one of the best recruiters and coaches young coaches in college basketball so if he brought that guy with him that would be a huge for for the kentucky program if we get muscleman he can bring his hot wife so that's a good yeah. thing and, <laughs> and, and, and nato unfortunately yeah yeah sorry guys don't don't fault terry it was me who started this because i was uh, saying that uh that uh, that Eric Musclebin can definitely recruit. He can definitely recruit. <laughs> Baller. Yeah. All right, we got to dive into recruiting. Give us the lowdown, Shay. What happened today? Yeah, unfortunately, surprisingly, that uh, Kentucky's number one target in 2024 shows uh, North Carolina. Uh, Ian Jackson, who is a shooting guard, um, definitely a shooting guard, small forward out of out of Bronx, New York. Um, guy was really tight with Orlando Antigua for a long time. Kentucky was pretty much a foregone favorite for a, a very, very, very long time, going back two years. Um, and unfortunately, he went to a UNC visit and was blown away and decided to cho- choose the Tar Heels. And, you know, he's a great player. He's the number two player in the class. Uh, it's definitely unfortunate, but I think we're going to be able to sustain this loss. And I'm glad to see on social media that there hasn't been as much backlash against Cal because of this. And, you know, he's a great player. He's very talented. I kind of compared him previously to maybe he calls himself like a shy Gilgis Alexander type. Shy Gilgis Alexander might be the best point guard in the world right now. I don't know, but he's definitely not SGA. It's not that he he's a driver, but like, dude, that dude is something else. Like we've never seen a basketball player like SGA. We may never see a basketball player like SGA. He's more, in my opinion, more like Terrence Clark, maybe Hamadou Diallo with less explosive, but less explosion. Um, so he's going to struggle at certain things. He's not a great shooter, uh, but he's great slasher. He's got great size. He's a little bit skinny, but good player. But, you know, I don't know if UNC is the best spot for him, but he felt like it was home. So, you know, that's unfortunate. we got other options, but the whole class itself isn't great. Uh, he's definitely not a guy that's going to come in and I think going to put up like Malik Monk numbers as a freshman. So especially in the UNC system, who doesn't like playing, playing freshman. Uh, so it's, it's a definitely a loss. It's definitely more of like a, it definitely hurts stings because we put in more effort in this recruitment than anybody um, going back way back when we're the first school on him. And so that sucks, but I would caution everybody as, as down as I am on Cal, I tweeted this out earlier. Think about the recruiting wins that we've had after striking out so much. And I'll just go through them. Like, okay, we kept DJ from going to Louisville. He was our guy. We fought off Louisville despite them hang, like hiring his grandfather. Huge win. Shouldn't be understated. 
We got Dilly the second time around. Amazingly fantastic player. Maybe some of the best NBA pro potential of the guy in the class. Um, just electric, the most electric guy in uh, in college basketball. Um, we got Justin Edwards to commit. Remember, he was all ours. We didn't prioritize him. Tennessee was creeping in. We kept Tennessee away from him. So we flipped that We flipped that recruitment and were able to close it. Um, and they kept Dilly, by the way, backtrack, they kept Dilly from the G League. G League was coming calling. He's very much a G League type player. He may still even go there. They kept Aaron Bradshaw from the G League, who is, you know, like the, the G League was leading there for a while. And Aaron Bradshaw, if you don't know, he's like moving up the rankings, even considered for the number one spot. He's definitely taken the next step. Um, he's going to be fantastic. And he can shoot the ball from the outside. He's very much a modern big man. And he provide rim protection. Um, did all of that, brought Reed Shepard, our prodigal son, home, which wasn't too hard, but like, you know, that's a huge win. They got Ugo. They got Ugo, who is going to be one of the best big men from the class. He's better than Adam Bona. He's better than Derek Lively. Um, NBA scouts are huge on him. They got Casey Wallace, who's a stud. They got Chris Livingston, who hasn't been as much as he's promised lately, but, you know, was a top 10 player. They got, I hate to say it, but, you know, I've argued with people about Twitter this, and we're all mad that Shaden Sharp didn't play, but they still won that recruitment. Got to give him credit for that, right? Like he committed to one school, and it wasn't a school not named Kentucky. So be angry about it, but don't be angry about the at the staff about that because they landed the commitment from the best player in the class. So believe it or not, if you if you told me this two years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. But recruiting is the least of our problems right now. Our problem is the culture, on court stuff. And, um, you know, continuity, figuring out who's going to be the head coach of Kentucky basketball. I'm not worried about recruiting, especially in a class that's so weak. It's okay. We can sustain the loss of Ian Jackson. I'm not, and you guys know, I'm not a sunshine pumper. I'm not going to tell you, like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's rosy. I will tell it like it is, but um, I'm not super worried. It's disappointing. It's sad. We should have got it. But I think the on-court production will not suffer as much as the PR will. Because I was excited. I'm always excited to get wins in recruiting over other schools, but it's 2024 and I have serious doubts that Cal might even still be around. So that I can understand. Uh, Even if we got his commitment today, I would, I don't, I couldn't tell you, I would say it's 50, 50. He's still going to end up at Kentucky because I don't know if Cal's still going to be around. He may retire. He may say that 2024 class is not that great. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, I don't want to deal with a, a team full of transfers or team full of older guys. I may just hang it up. So it's not that big in the larger scheme of things, and I'm not downplaying it. It's disappointing. But we got 2025 Darren Peterson, who may reclass, who is super skilled shooting guard with incredible size that would be much better on the court. So we got to get that guy. We got to get Trey Johnson, who has out of Texas, very close to Tyrese Faxey. Um, We got to try to get Boogie Fland, who unfortunately may also consider UNC because he's close with Ian Jackson. Um, we got to try to get Flory Badunga, who is Oscar plus defense and bigger. So uh, he's going to be the number one player in the class. So there are other options, but I, I, I genuinely believe that that 2024 class is going to be a lot of returners or a lot of college transfers because the class outside of like four or five guys is just hot garbage, for lack of a better term. Michael, anything else you want to add? Any questions on recruiting? Maybe I can I can answer. Um, I mean, I, I just got a, another four pairs of Bombas and they're, they're the <laughs> most comfortable socks I've ever worn in my life. Um, Point number three. I, 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 oh, n- nicely done, Shay. 
Um, am I disappointed uh, in today? Yeah, of course I am. Um, but I, I'm I'm all about the kids, and um, if if he thinks that Carolina is the best place for him, then he has an opportunity to make Carolina the best place for him, even if it may not be or if it wasn't going into it. So, you know, it's great. Um, I, I love a country that embraces kids and gives them opportunities that um, you can't really get from too many places on earth. Um, I, I'm disappointed that we didn't get him, but Shay makes great points. Like we've, there's so many kids that we have gotten and being able to pull them from G league. Um, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a steal. It, it really is. Um, so no, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not frustrated. I'm not upset. Um, we do have maybe more of a cultural issue at the moment, uh, more of an administrative issue at the moment. Uh, definitely, you know, at the most basic level, we're still talking about who should see the court. We're still talking about how to divvy up minutes for this year's team. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, I, I'm good. I'm good with the recap um, on the recruiting scene. I'm focused on the next three games because I think Kentucky will be favored in the next three. They're minus 10 tomorrow night um, in Rupp against Georgia. Uh, they'll be favored in the next two games as well, A&M and Bandy. Um, I, I think Kentucky writes itself here. Kentucky goes 3-0 in those games. We have momentum going into the Kansas game, and we'll see what happens then. Yeah, and, and let me just say, like, in recruiting, you win some and you lose some. But in our case, we actually won a lot and lost one. So I'm all for holding the staff accountable, but not for this. Because, well, Shay, no. Shay yeah. it, it's not just you win some, you lose some. I, I think it should be the case just by the, the law of numbers. You win some and you lose a lot more. I mean, should yeah. you lose more than, than you get? Just because of, of the fact that you're trying we're, to get so many kids to begin with? We're used to going into gym and choosing who we want. And that was the mm -hmm. Cal of 2009. But if you think about it, like a lot of the guys that have, a lot of the guys that are game-changing NBA stars from day one as freshmen are now not going to college. They're going to the G League. They're going other routes. And so the, you see the Thompson twins who are like fantastic. You see Scoot Henderson. Um, those dudes are going straight to pro routes. They're not even bothering with college. So we don't have those same type of AD, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson type guys that are like on day one will completely change the face of a program anymore. And that's also another reason Cal should kind of think about, do I really want to be in this game anymore? Maybe I want to go be an NBA coach. Maybe I'll, because our, his style works really well in the NBA. You don't have to tell dudes to run plays. You just let them get one-on-one -on -one opportunities and manage egos more so than anything. And, you know, it's, I think he would do a lot better in the NBA like this year. So, you know, it sucks. Ian Jackson was a prototype, proto, 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 prototype, UK type of guard that they would like. But it's also a good thing because maybe, you know, UK can go for a guard that's actually skilled. Not that, that Ian Jackson is bad. And, and unfortunately, I don't want to wish ill. I hope he has a great career, but like, Carolina hasn't done well with guards of his 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 uh, his um, archetype. They they've done well with guys that are extremely skilled, like a la Elliot Cadu, who they landed a commitment from. 
guys that are really skilled who are undersized, who are um, can play that ACC type of ball. Um, and 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 Ian Jackson isn't really that guy, and so I'm afraid that he might get lost in the rotation because they aren't known to play freshman guards at at UNC. They're more known to focus on older players. In my opinion, Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky got Ian. I mean, uh, Hamadou Diallo is a very similar player to Ian Jackson. Didn't really have a great Kentucky career in just one year, but he's gone on to have a really long NBA career and be a rotation guy. And that's pretty much how kind of how I see Ian Jackson. And yeah. I mean, Carolina hasn't really proven that. So I mean, you know, no knock on the kid. I'm glad that he chose a school that he felt comfortable at. But I don't know if that was the right school for him. But I'm also not mad because I'm I'm happy that. Kentucky can focus on some more skilled guys like Darren Peterson, yeah. like Trey Johnson, who's, who's been compared to, to Devin Booker, um, to, to Boogie Flan, to, to Hod Pettiford. Um, it's not always not lost with Ian Jackson. Um, you know, now if we were afraid, we were the favorites for Flory Badunga, like we're not, but if we were, and he committed mm-hmm. to another school last minute, I would be a lot more upset. Um, and considering, like I'll reiterate, the last thing I'll say is just like Dilly, Edwards, Bradshaw, we're all trending somewhere else and we flipped them and there were huge wins. Like Bradshaw is gone from being like a complimentary player to being the star of the class just because he's upped his effort effort. He's got things you can't teach. Like he's seven one. He's got great measurables. He can block shots. He can shoot the ball out to the three point line. He's played with DJ Wagner for four years. And I think that he's going to be fantastic. The question is, how do you, combine him with Ugo, who is also going to be fantastic. So mm-hmm. that's a good problem to have. Um, we'll see how long Cal sticks around. And, and Adutiero, who's going to be there too. So, I mean, I, we'll see how long Cal sticks around, but I'm not worried about the Ian Jackson one, which I usually get upset about recruiting, but I'm not upset about this. Totally agree. Anything else, guys? That's it for me. I think we should shut her down, though. It was a great recap on a lot of stuff. I feel like we're like, we're caught up now. Now we can like start cranking out weekly podcasts. So where can folks find you guys on social media? Yeah, you can find me on social social media at at a b h a v s a r. That's at a bobsar. Um, I go by Shay. I go by Akshay. I'm out here in sunny Southern California, Southern California. Actually, rainy Southern California right now, which kind of sucks. But um, you can also follow the podcast at basketball buzz pod so at b-ball buzz pods i'm sorry about that at b-ball buzz pod um and so you know if you have any comments on the show you want us to talk about something just go ahead and send us a message or um at us and we're happy to answer um so that's where you can find me and you can find me at mg simmons 5280 that's at m-g-s-i-m-m-o-n-s 5280 here in the mile high city home of the denver nuggets you can find me on Twitter at Arizona T-Y-J-O. As always, we really appreciate your support. And until next episode, keep sipping bourbon and go Cats.